Praise God. We'd like to welcome everyone. If you're a guest with us this evening, we welcome you. So glad you're here with us, worshiping. Amen. Praise God. If you have a Bible, if you would go with me to Genesis chapter 30. Genesis chapter 30 and verse number 22. Genesis 30 and 22. Praise God. Verse 22 reads, And God remembered Rachel, and God hearkened to her, and opened her womb, and she conceived and bare a son, and said, God hath taken away my reproach. She called his name Joseph. And, the, and said, the Lord shall add me another son. If you would take a right turn a little farther to chapter 35, chapter 35, and drop down to verse 15. And Jacob called the name of the place where God spake with him, Bethel. And they journeyed from Bethel. And there was but a little way to come to Ephrath. And Rachel travailed, and she had hard labor. And it came to pass, when she was in hard labor, that the midwife said to her, Fear not, thou shalt have this son also. And it came to pass, as her soul was in departing, for she died, that she called his name Benoni, but his father called him Benjamin. I want to talk to you as the Holy Ghost helps us tonight with this subject, Law and love. Law and love. God bless you. Thank you for standing. You may be seated this evening. Praise God. Law and love. The story that we just read, taken out of the 30th chapter of Genesis, refers to the fact that Jacob falls in love with a girl by the name of Rachel. Rachel being his uncle's daughter. He makes an arrangement with Laban, his uncle. I will work for you for seven years. And at the end of the seven years, they make an arrangement at the end of the seven years, that Rachel would take Jacob's hand in marriage. At the end of the seven years, Laban pulls the old switcheroo on Jacob. And it was possible for this to happen, even though it's somewhat inconceivable from a modern understanding in the culture of Genesis chapter 30, it is easy to understand how this took place. But instead of marrying Rachel, Jacob marries Leah. And, Jake, and, and Laban pulls an old switcheroo because there was no marriage ceremony and marriage was consummated in intimacy. And so the bride would come into the honeymoon chamber and she would be veiled. It would be dark, hard to see. And 
the marriage would be consummated in the honeymoon suite and that would constitute a marriage ceremony. So in the process of this, when Jacob discovered what had happened, he then returned to Laban and agreed to work another seven years to have Rachel. Because the law said that the firstborn daughter had to be married first. So then Leah becomes the relationship or the marriage of law. But Rachel becomes the marriage of love. He gives both of them the same amount of service. Seven years for Leah, seven years for Rachel. But he did seven years for Leah because that's what he had to do. But he did seven years for Rachel because that's what he wanted to do. He did seven years and got Leah because the law said, here's what you have to do. But he went another seven years because love said, this is what I want to do. The first relationship that you encounter with God is the relationship of law. You find him and you, and you, and, and you have a relationship with him based off what's expected of you. We understand when we come to him that we are sinners and we understand that the Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God and there's none good, no, not one. And we understand that coming to him, what must I do to be saved? And Peter says, repent, be baptized and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And we get into this relationship, but we get in the relationship based off what we have to do. That's what we have to do. Nicodemus, Rabbi, what must I do except the man be born of the water and of the Spirit? He cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. That's what I have to do. But that puts me in a relationship based off what I have to do. And you find Christians saying, what do I have to do? Preacher, tell me what I have to do. And we can sit here tonight and we could go point by point through scripture and we could go down the list and say, well, the Bible says to do this and the Bible says don't do that. And the Bible says to fellowship with this and the Bible says to fellowship, not fellowship with that. The Bible says to say this and the Bible says don't say that. And We could go down the list and we could build you a framework and you could leave here and you could even put it in your phone and have a list in your phone, a a. a, a, a checklist of your phone and you could get up every morning and you can look and say okay well I'm not supposed to do this and I'm not supposed to do that and I can do this and I can do that and you can build your entire relationship with God around law because here's the thing we can even have a relationship based off law and have benefits of that relationship because Jacob had sons with Leah. You can even have fruit in a relationship 
built off of law. Because he had a son with Leah, Reuben. Reuben means vision. You can have a relationship under the law and have vision. He had another son, Simeon, which means one that hears and obeys. Obedience can produce fruit. And here's the big one, right? What is the main ingredient we do when we come to church? What is the main thing that we do as a body when we come to church? What is it? Jude, there you go. He's going to go all the way to the Hebrew. We, we Judah, we praise. But guess what? Judah was an offspring of the law. Praise is a command. Praise ye the Lord. Let everything that has breath praise ye the Lord. That is a command. So praising is following the law. And I can come to church and I can praise because that's what's commanded of me. And there's nothing wrong with having a relationship because we all start there. There's nothing wrong with having that relationship that's birthed in law. That's, there's nothing wrong with that. However, There's another side to all of this. Because a relationship that's built off what I have to do will never take you to what you can experience with what I want to do. Because when you step out of law and you step into love, when it's no longer what you have to do, but it's what you want to do. It's no longer well it's Sunday and I have to go to church but it's Sunday and I get to go to church. It's no longer well I have to pray but when I wake up in the morning I get to pray. It's no longer well I've got to come to church and praise but now it's I get to come to church and worship. When I step into that side of the relationship, there's a whole other set of fruit that comes to my life when I step into that relationship. Because the birthing Rachel produced it was Joseph and Benjamin. And Joseph means son of increase. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of these things shall, shall be added unto you. When you get out of doing things that you're doing because that's what you're supposed to do. And you step into doing what you want to do. All of a sudden God is able to step into your life and pull open the window of heaven and say now because you've got where you're going and now you're doing what you want to do now I'm going to open up increase in your life 
Now you'll begin to see things you didn't see before. Now, Joseph, you become a person of destiny. You become a person of great destiny. Now you're able to understand that there's a greater purpose in my life. There's a destiny in my life. I'm not just a Christian because that's what I'm supposed to be. But I'm a child of God because that's what I want to be. When you go from law to love, there's another benefit. Not only do you have the offspring of increase, but you have a Benjamin. Benjamin becomes son of my right hand. In the Bible, right hand always symbolized authority. Now you have authority. Do you know why some, I'm, I'm, I'm just stepping in the Holy Ghost right now. I just, I felt like to stepped into a cold shower. I just stepped right into it. I must have been on this step right here. It's a Holy Ghost step. You know why some of you are getting your brain speed out? Because your whole entire relationship with God is based off, tell me, preacher, what I'm supposed to do. And when you're just checking boxes off, you have no authority. Check. One more Sunday off the list. Check. July 31st. Check. What's next Sunday? The 6th? 7th? 7th? August 7th. Check. August 14th. Check. August 21st. Check. And you come and you have benefit and you praise. But when you leave here, you have no authority that you carry with you. So you know what you do? You leave church on a high, but by Monday morning rolls around, brother. Woo! You've left your shout at the altar. And by the time Monday evening rolls around, you went feeling like you were about to be God's first cousin to wonder now if you're even saved. Because your relationship is built off what you have to do. You're not married yet, right? Okay, good. You're going to get married one day? Probably. That's a good answer, probably. I tell you what we're going to do. When you get married, if I, if you, if, if I do the wedding, here's what I'm going to do just for you. Only for you. I'm going to stand here next to your beautiful bride. And I'm going to go over everything that you are not supposed to do anymore. We won't work. We'll just say, okay, no longer, Dylan, are you allowed to go out with another woman. No longer, Dylan, are you allowed to be attracted to another woman. No longer, Dylan, are you allowed to think about other women. No longer. And we're going to go through all that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then what we're going to do is... you. Here's what I'm going to do. Here's what I'll do just for you. I'm going to make up a, a list. I'm going to hand it to you. And when you leave, every day you get up and you read that list, and it will remind you what you're not supposed to do. How many of you think his marriage will last? Because you know what? If your wife 
All you, you, all you young men that's not married that think you know everything, let me help you out real quick because you don't know everything. If your wife has to look over to you and say, would you tell me you love me? And you look over her and you say, I love you. You know what she's going to look back and say? It doesn't count. Because you said it because I told you to say it. <laughs> Why? Because we know a marriage that's based off of consequences is not a marriage that will last. But I don't get up every morning stressed about my day thinking of what I can or can't do because I'm married. I get up every day excited about my relationship because it's not a relationship of law even though I took a vow and the, and the vow said here's the, all this stuff that we, we agreed to but I don't get up every day saying okay what did that say what did I say it was almost 14 years ago what, I can't remember what I said to death do us oh what did it say something about death and parting I'm supposed to, oh, what was it, cherish and uh, something about poor and rich and health and sickness and beauty and all. I don't know what, what was the rest of this? Okay, I got to remember that. got to remember that. And I'll call up the preacher who, who married us, even though I have him on speed dial because that's my father. I don't call him up every morning and say, uh, uh, Bishop, I got to ask you a question. Uh, what was all the stuff you told me I was supposed to do when I got married? Okay, all right, good, all right, good. Clear. All right, I can't, got to do that. I got to stay focused. You don't do that in marriage. Marriage grows because the relationship grows, and the relationship is on love. I love him because he first loved me. Relationship that's built on law. It's not really a relationship at all. Because I'm doing what I'm doing because that's what I have to do. But when I step out of doing what I have to do and I step into doing what I want to do, there's a whole other set of things that God begins to do in my life. Because Jesus said this, Matthew 5.41, and whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him. Twain, not Mark Twain. Whoever compels you to go one mile, go two. Here's the interesting thing. The Roman law said that if a Roman soldier asked you to carry his burden for for one mile, under law, you had to do it. However, notice what Jesus said. And whosoever shall compel thee. He didn't say if a soldier compels thee. He said if anyone asks you, 
to go a mile. Go a second. Too many of us are one mile Christians. We go as far as we have to go. I've been around church a long time. When we say let's praise the Lord, I can almost sometimes guess to the second how long we're going to do that. If I said right now, let's all just lift our hands and let's just praise the Lord. 20 seconds. And we would just shh. But every once in a while, you got to have a two-mile mentality. That when you're given the opportunity, you don't go the one mile. Because the flesh says, I want to go as far as I have to. But the spirit says, I want to go as far as I want to. Flesh says, tell me what I have to do. But my spirit says, tell me what I get to do. Because I don't want to be a one miler. You know what the problem with, it, with, with being a second miler? Mother Owens, you know what the problem with being a second miler is? The second mile is a lonely mile. We all like to have friends. We all like to feel apart. We all like to feel connected. But you know what? The law says everybody has to go at least a mile. So when you're doing what everybody else is doing, boy, you're just in the crowd. Problem with the second milers? When you become a second miler, it gets a little lonely. The second mile journey is a little lonely because there's fewer people. You ever seen a marathon? Baltimore Marathon, New York City Marathon, whatever it is, these big marathons. You ever seen the start? Like 10,000 people running together. Like, I mean, if one of them trips, it's going to be bad. But have you ever seen the end of a marathon? It's like one, two, you would have no chance of counting people at the start. But a child could count everybody at the end. Why? Because everybody knows how to start. Everybody knows how to get going at the start. In fact, hey, you don't even have to train to start. You can get up on a Saturday morning and say, what do you want to do today? Well, let's go out and run a marathon. That sounds like a good thing. And maybe you can get out there and get your shoes on and get your jogging outfit on and you're ready to go run a marathon. And boy, here you go, running a marathon. There you And about a quarter mile in that, you realize, this is a bad idea right here. Bad, bad. I'll catch up with y'all later. I got to catch a cab. I'll be up there in a minute. Because anybody can get up and start it. But if you're going to be a f all the way to the end, you don't just decide to run a marathon on a Saturday. But months and months and months before it even starts, you get up at 6 in the morning when everybody else is sleeping and you get your shoes on and you may only be able to run one mile, but that day you're going to run a mile. You're going to get up the next day and you're going to run two miles. And then you're going to run... Whoa, whoa, wait, wait a minute. 
Your friends are home sleeping. Your friends are home eating cheeseburgers and pizza. You're sitting there nibbling on a carrot. But you don't mind it. Why? Because there's a purpose to the process. I'm not doing what I have to do. But I'm doing what I want to do. Because I don't want to be a starter. But I want to be a finisher. Hey, everybody starts. Everybody's hanging out at the start. But it takes somebody with a determination. It takes somebody that's willing to run through pain. It takes somebody that's willing to run through the cramps. It takes somebody that's willing to run through when your body's screaming, quit, stop, don't do this anymore. Why are you doing this? But somewhere in your brain, it says, there's a finish line in front of me. I'm not doing this to come this far and quit but there is a finish line in front of me it may not be easy it may not be smooth but there will be days where I gotta put one foot in front of the other but I'm not doing what I have to do I'm doing what I want to do to be a second miler you gotta change things in your life you can be a first miler and do what you want to do, but when you're going to be a second miler, you gotta, you got to have some discipline. you got to have some things changing in your life to do it, but it doesn't matter to you. It doesn't bother you because you're doing it because that's what you want to do. That's what you want to do. I don't want to be a one miler. I want to be a two miler. I want to go beyond what's required of me. I want to step in to where I want to be. I want to go beyond just a relationship that's built on law. I want to find that relationship that's built on love. I may have got here because I was told this is what I'm supposed to do. That's, that's probably how I started this because somebody came in my life and said, I need to repent of my sins. I need to be filled with the Holy Ghost. I need to be baptized. And I did those things. And that's awesome. That's the start. But I don't want to start there. Stop there. Because I, there's a whole nother world to all this. There's a whole nother side to this. That when you wake up in the morning, you're not doing what you have to do, but you're doing what you want to do. Book of Kings says, now Elisha was fallen sick of the sickness whereof he died. And Joash, the king of Israel, came down unto him and wept over his face and said, Oh, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel, the horsemen thereof. And Elisha said to them, Take bow and arrow. And it took bow and arrow. And he, said, and he said to the king of Israel, Put thy hand upon the bow. Put his hand upon it. And Elisha put his hand upon the king's hand. And he said, open the window eastward. And he opened it. Then Elisha said, shoot. And he shot. Then the arrow of the Lord's deliverance, the arrow of deliverance from Syria, thou shalt smite the Syrians at Aphek till thou have consumed them. And he said, take the arrows. And he took them. And he said to the king of Israel, smite upon the ground. And he smote thrice and stayed. And the man of God was wroth with him, angry. And he said, thou should have smitten five or six times them thou hast smitten Syria till thou hast consumed it. Whereas now thou shalt smite Israel 
three times. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's up to you. Notice what the first thing that happened. First thing to happen is Elisha told Joash, you just you shouldn't sit on the front row. You're just getting picked on. Come here, Joash. Elisha told Joash, take the bow. And the Bible says he told him to put his hand on the bow. And the Bible says when he put his hand on the bow, Elisha put his hand upon Joash. And he said to Joash, shoot that arrow out the window. And that's going to be the arrow of your deliverance. There's times when you're bound that the man of God can say, put your hands up. And the man of God can come or woman of God or whoever God's brought in your life. And they can put their hands on you and the arrow of deliverance can go out. And there are times where what God does for you is, is tied to somebody else's anointing. Somebody else's prayer life. Somebody else's hunger. You may not know how to get it, but God sends somebody along that's anointed and they put their hand upon you and working with you, God brings you deliverance. God brings you healing. God brings something in your life. But then there comes a point in time where God steps back and says, ain't nobody going to be here this time, brother. Now it's in your court what you're going to do with it. It may not be somebody coming around this time to put their hand on you. You're not going to be able to piggyback on somebody else's faith. You're not going to be able to tie to somebody else's coattail. You're not going to be able to get along with somebody else's prayer life, somebody else's dedication, somebody else's determination. But there's a point in time God steps back and say, now what are you going to do about it? And you say, well, Lord, okay, here it is. And you can give your token prayer because that's what you do and I say thank you Jesus love you and give your token and God says here you go I'm going to give it what you asked for but God says but if you would have gone farther not only would I have given you something but I'd have given you everything that you could have handled and everything that you wanted but it's up to you there are times and a move of God where we say let's all pray for one another and we get together and we pray one for another and somebody gets anointed and they'll come over to you and they pray for you and God does great things but there's other times where God says no nobody's going to put hands on anybody because it's up to you whether or not you are going to have hunger in your heart to reach out it says if someone comes to pray for me or doesn't come to pray for me it does not come on let's be honest we've all been there we've all been there we've got a need and so we close our eyes and we're praying and we're peeking because we're hoping that anointed saint or that preacher We'll come pray for us. We'll put our hands in our head. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Let's be honest. Or what's worse, for those of us that have been around for a while, we know people by their voice. Pull you up there. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, Lord, you're going to do it tonight. And person walks up, you pray. Oh, Lord. 
Oh, man. Oh. All of a sudden, you lose your zeal, your faith. Don't act like you haven't done it. You know it's good and well. Boy, if, I, if the preacher would just come down my row. Years ago, we haven't had one in a while. Years ago, we used to have, we had men come through here that were, that were very prophetic. And boy, the Holy Ghost would, would come upon them and they would begin to prophesy and they'd, they would prophesy to people some awesome, powerful things. But the problem with those services is you'd always have some people that left mad. Boy, one person left there. God just spoke in their life. My God, they're about to take on hell with a water gun. I mean, it is just, and you got someone walking out going, well, no one spoke to me. God didn't spoke to me. Boy, I sit there. And then you can watch people. Man of God, woman of God's walking around, and they're sitting there, and he's walking down their aisle. And they're like, they're, they're kind of like, All of a sudden, they just get a praise, man. They just stand up. I mean, the, he's trying to walk, and they're just like jumping out in the aisle. Woo! Praise God. Thank you. Thank you. Just trying to get the man of God's attention. He just keeps walking. Then they, and then you get the, you get the people that did Woo! Woo! You might as well just be saying, help me, help me. I'm over here. Because we tie ourselves to that. Why? Because we don't have that relationship with God that we feel like we can get something our own. So my relationship comes to, I got to have somebody to tie my faith onto. And there's a certain time, guess what God does? He just says, nope, not going to do it. And then, matter how much you dance, how much you shout, how much you worship, nobody. I mean, literally, we could have a, we could have people praying for, and, and somehow, some way, they'll just buy, you. You'll just be invisible. They won't even know you're there, because it's it's like God just says, "No, not tonight." Is God unfair? Is God somehow harsh? No. There got, has to be a time in your life where, you, where God says, what are you going to do about it? Okay, Joash, I got you your first victory, but what are you going to do about your second victory? All right, Joash, we work together. We pulled back the bow together. And we shot the arrow for our victory together. But now here's the arrows for you. What are you going to do about it? And Joash went. And the Bible doesn't say this, but I wonder if he did that, looked over, Elisha says, was that good enough? It didn't say that, but. That's sort of what's implied, because he must have just, was first mic drop ever. One, two, three. Psh, done. Look at that. Drop the arrow. Step back. What do you think about that, Elisha? And the Bible says Elisha became angry. He said, if you would have gone beyond what you thought was an expectation, 
God would have done things that would have blown your mind. Because you know what? If I said right now, if I said right now, let's all pray. We would all close our eyes and for the most part, 90% of you, 95% of you would sincerely pray. But let's be honest, 30 seconds into it, what would we do? We'd start looking around going, okay, what's next? What are we doing next? I don't feel anything. I wonder if God sometimes is waiting for that person. Remember, the second mile is a lonely road. It's not gonna, it's not, you're never always going to get everybody. This is not a message for everybody. But I wonder if sometimes God waits to see who's going to be a second miler. And so God throws out a one-mile challenge to find out if he has any two-milers in the building. Let's all worship, one-mile challenge. Let's all pray, one-mile challenge. Let's give the Lord thanks, one-mile challenge. And we all complete the one-mile and say, okay, God, what's next? Check. And God's saying, is there any two-milers in the house today? Is there any two-milers in the house today that won't do what's simply expected, but there's something in your spirit and in your heart that says, I want to go beyond where I am. I want to go beyond. I want to go beyond. I want to go beyond where I feel like it's necessary. We all have that check in our spirit. We have that check in our heart, our flesh. It's our flesh. Or we're praying and it's almost like this voice says, okay, that's enough. But I wonder if anybody would silence that voice and say, I'm not just going to do my token prayer, but I want to go beyond. And I want to just check off the boxes of the law but I want to have a relationship of love. Julie, if you'd come. I believe tonight that God wants to do something in someone's life tonight. Something special in your life tonight. But can I be honest? It may not come through someone praying for you. Someone may or may not. I'm not saying they won't. They're not saying they will. I'm just, it may not come. But it may be somebody in this place tonight that says, you know what? I want something from you, God. And I don't care if I'm prayed for or not prayed for. You're all that matters. You're all that matters. As long as I have Jesus... I don't need anybody else. As long as I have him, I don't need anything else. Sometimes God says, are you going to be a one mile or are you going to be a two mile? Notice what he said, John chapter seven, let any man that thirst do what? Come on, Bible readers, what's that word? Come. 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 There's a point in time where, yes, the Bible says that he went to the well. 
and found the woman at the well. And there are times God sees your need. And notice this. It was even, we, we forget this part of the story. The Bible says he was at the well when she got there. There are times God sees your need and he's there to meet you before you even realize you have a need. But then there's other times he says, if you're thirsty, come. If you're thirsty. It's not just about what I have to do, but it's about what I want to do. It's not simply checking off the boxes of religious experiences or religious thoughts, but it's what I want to do. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst. Hunger and thirst. If you're hungry and you're thirsty, you don't have to be told when. If you're hungry and you're thirsty, you don't have to be given an invitation. Because if you're hungry and thirsty and you realize the answer is in front of you, you're willing to take that step. I know we usually don't do it this way, but I feel to do it this way tonight. We don't usually have do it this way, but if you're here tonight and you want to be a second miler tonight, I want you to get out of your seats and come down front and just lift your hands to heaven. We're not going to kneel. We're not going to beg God. We're just going to, and you say, what am I coming down for? I have no idea. You're just a second miler tonight. You're just going to lift up your hands and you and Jesus are going to just begin to connect. How long do I need to be down here? I don't know. Come on, that's it. Just reach out. Lay down. Come on, that's it. Lift your hands to heaven. That's it. Someone may or may not pray for you. That doesn't matter right now. What matters is Jesus is in this house. Come on, church. Let's be a church of second milers. Oh, yes, yes. Yes. Come on. Forget what you feel and what you don't feel. But be a second miler tonight. Oh. Oh, don't tell me what I have to do. But tell me what I get to do. Yay. Come on, God's doing something. I can feel it. Come on, you can feel it. You may not be able to see it, but you can feel it. Something's moving in this place. Something deep's moving in here. Lay down. We want to be a second miler. He said, come. Come to me. God's moving. Come on. Be a second miler. Go beyond just your normal token. Don't go just another 30 seconds. But say, God, 
I want to go beyond. Come on, if you're not praying for yourself, let the Lord use you. Come on. God's moving in this place. There's those that are being touched. God's doing something in this place. Let the Lord use you. Let the Lord use you. I want to be a second miler. be a hunger birth in this place tonight Jesus let there be a hunger birth in this place tonight let us be a two-mile church let us be a two-mile church oh Jesus let the hunger of this be birthed in this place let there be a hunger birth in this place I loose it in Jesus name I lose a fresh baptism of hunger I lose a fresh Fresh baptism of hunger in this place. Oh, rise up, Holy Ghost. <laughs> 